0: Welcome to the VO2 Lounge Podcast, the podcast dedicated to delivering the science on today's trending fitness topics, saving you valuable time from endless internet scrolling. Today we'll be looking at what are the most effective training intervals, the hit science. We'll cover over the course of this episode, the scientific basis for high intensity interval training, effects of different interval training programs on cycling time trial performance, adaptions to aerobic interval training. Is there an optimal training intensity for enhancing VO2 max, Tabata training and how it's one of the most energetically efficient high intensity intimate training methods? So without further ado, let's get into this episode. So starting with the need for high intensity interval training in your training plan. So let's understand the basis of which you need to perform these intervals. So a paper titled, The Scientific Basis for High Intensity Interval Training is a good place to start. From this we can get a pretty good foundation on the need for HIIT training. So, Understanding the physiological adaptions resulting from endurance training is well established in, the, uh, in sedentary and recreational active individuals. However, the picture becomes a bit less clear when examining highly trained endurance athletes. Um, sub Substantial improvements in endurance performance and physiological markers are observed in sedentary and uh, recreationally active groups following submaximal endurance training. And interestingly, increasing submaximal training volume in highly trained individuals does not seem to yield further benefits in either endurance performance or associated physiological variables such as peak oxygen uptake, also known as VO2 max, uh, sorry VO2 peak, and oxidative enzyme activity. So, for athletes already at an advanced training level, uh, the passage suggests that improvements in endurance performance are achievable primarily through high intensity interval training. Uh, the limited research on muscle enzyme activity in highly trained athletes after a HIT reveals no significant changes in oxidative or glycolytic enzyme activity, despite notable enhancements in endurance performance. Instead, an increase in skeletal muscle buffering capacity is proposed as the potential mechanism for improved endurance performance. Kind of key, key insight there. Um, now, several aspects, including changes in plasma volume, stroke volume, uh, myoglobin, capillary density, and fiber type characteristics, remain unexplored in the context of high-intensity training, for highly trained athletes um, information on optimizing high intensity training programs for endurance athletes is somewhat scarce preliminary work utilizing the velocity uh, at which vo2max is achieved as interval intensity fractions of the time to exhaustion at vmax as the interval duration has shown success in improving performance in long-distance runners. However, these parameters, VMAX and TMAX, have, uh, have not been applied to cyclists. This is all relative to at the point at which the paper was written. And in the realm of high-intensity program optimization for cyclists, research suggests that repeated submaximal sprinting may be as effective as more traditional HIT programs in enhancing endurance performance. Um they underscore the need for further examination of the biochemical and physiological adaptions accompanying different uh, high-intensity programs. And additionally, there is a call for comprehensive research to identify the optimal um, program for eliciting performance enhancement in highly trained athletes. And then the current gaps in knowledge highlight the complexity of training adaptions in the specific population, emphasizing the ne- necessity for continued investigation to refine training strategies for optimal athletic performance. So the main takeaway, I'd say, from this paper is essentially identifying that there becomes a point where high-intensity intervals are required to elicit further adaptions. It's not as clear as to where they're coming from. This idea, as we'll get onto later, of the buffering capacity and basically the body's ability to continue to perform under this stress seems to kind of be where the games appear to be coming from the next question as is kind of proposed by that previous paper is long versus short intervals so how long uh, should your intervals be or how short should they be which is more effective what is the optimal duration what's the optimal intensity the study title effects of different interval training programs on cycling time trial performance provides a good insight into where we should be putting our focus this study uh, involved 20 provincial level male endurance trained cyclists and before each laboratory visit cyclists refrained from heavy training and maintained their regular diet for 24 hours uh, prior to arriving now upon arrival their weight was measured in uh, cycling shorts on a precision balance determining the uh, starting work rate for subsequent exercise performance tests Skinfold thickness was also used to estimate percentage of body fat. Each cyclist performed a 25 kilojoule sprint test on their uh, electro, uh, electronically braked cycle ergonometer. Just imagine it is like an indoor trainer but a fancier one to some extent. But the same thing for the most part. After a warm up they completed the sprint as fast as possible followed by a short warm down and 30 minutes of rest. Subsequently. Participants performed a simulated 40 kilometer time trial on their racing bikes mounted on an air brake ergometer. Uh, Again, just two separate forms of uh, indoor esque training platform. Um, so, here you can see they're just trying to characterize two different physiological parameters to some extent. The 25 kilojoule sprint effectively, the more power you can put down. The, obviously the faster this sprint is going to uh, occur so you're almost your measurement is purely time if someone completes the sprint in 10 seconds they've clearly put out more power to achieve said goal and then they're looking at a purely time based how long can you ride and obviously because this is on an indoor trainer-esque uh, machine then you're Purely isolating the power outputs to achieve the 40 kilometer time trial rather than aero and watt per kilo so to some extent. Now three days later the cyclist underwent an incremental exercise test to exhaustion on a cycle ergometer again. Starting at 3.3 watts per kilogram and increasing until exhaustion. Peak sustained power output was determined and subsequent submaximal steady state rides were conducted at different percentages um, of peak uh, power now during the incremental tests uh, respiratory and cardiovascular parameters were monitored and blood samples were collected for lactate measurements uh, these include that uh, heart rates were recorded using sports test monitor as they've described it but just a heart rate monitor and participants were then randomly assigned to one of five interval training protocols this is where it gets closer to what we're trying to understand involving These involved 6 sessions over a 3 week period Each session lasting about 60 minutes had specific work rest ratios uh, and intensity levels Training protocols were designed in consultation with coaches cyclists and sports scientists considering realistic sessions for well trained riders during competition preparation The amount of work in each session varied due to non-linear relationship between work and and exercise intensity. Now, the results—it's easy to sort of interpret when you've got the paper in front of you. But the main thing you can glean from it is that in this instance, remembering so they've got a thirty-second interval at one hundred seventy-five percent of um, VO two max. 1 minute at 100%, 2 minute at 90%, 4 minute at 85 8 minute at 80%. So what they've done here is correct. Higher intensity means shorter duration. They measured, uh, as I've said already, the 4 kilometer time, um, a change in peak power, and a change in sprint power. Now, interestingly, um, 4 minute group was the uh, showed the highest response in forty kilometer um, speed or time, uh, largest change in peak power, and largest change in sprint power. So across all three, which there's almost two takeaways to that. one, you could take away that this four minute interval is optimal. but we can also take away from this is that clearly these are almost a symbiotic nature. They seem it's not that, this increase in only peak power results in no increase in a steady state effort because that is what a 40 kilometer time trial is really, is a steady state effort. So from this, you could be thinking now, let's add in way more 4-minute effort into my training and bin off every other training interval that I've been using. But let's go into some more info on interval training and duration. Taking a look at a study titled Adaptions to Aerobic Interval Training Interactive Effects of Exercise Intensity and Total Work Duration gives another outlook on these interval durations. The study aimed to compare the effects of three distinct seven-week interval training programs differing in work period duration but matched for effort on trained recreational cyclists A total of 35 cyclists, 29 males, 6 female um, with a VO2 max of 52 um, plus or minus 6 a per kg per min for their VO2 max, so their relative VO2 max, so kind of normalized to some extent, were randomly assigned to four training groups all with equivalent training in the uh, preceding two months, approximately six hours a week. Um, one group was labelled low only um, under and they underwent frequent training sessions per week at low intensity the other three groups um, participated in two sessions per week for seven weeks inc- uh, incorporating different interval durations which included the 4x4, four 4x8 four, uh, four and 4x16 so the latter number being how many minutes they spent at uh, the, during the interval alongside um, two to three weekly intensity bouts uh, sorry two to three weekly low intensity bouts um, interval sessions were tailored to the maximal tolerable intensity of the uh, athlete so interval training intensity varied among the groups with sessions performed at 88%, uh, 90% and 94% of heart rate peak and corresponding blood lactate levels of 4.9, 9.6 and 13.2 millimol per litre in the 4x16, 4x8, 4x4 minute groups respectively. Easy to understand, the longer groups did a lower workout intensity to effectively get the equated stimulus and also to be able to actually do the workout. Uh, Results indicated that the 4x8 min group Um, induced superior gains in VO2 uh, peak power, VO2 peak and uh, uh, at 4 minimal blood lactate compared to the other groups specifically the improvements were 11.4%, 4.2% and 5.6% and 5.5% in the order of 4x8, 4x16, 4x4 uh, respectively now, the study concluded that interval training intensity and accumulated duration interact in and influencing the adaptive response. Notably, accumulating 32 minutes of work at 90% of heart rate max induced greater adaptive gains than accumulating 16 minutes of work at 95% of heart rate max, despite the latter having lower perceived exertion. Now, if you have the study in front of you, which is, makes things a lot easier, there are some interesting takeaways to take from table three. So RPE is lower in the four by eight minute group, which is interesting, even though uh, it elicited the greatest improvement. You can see uh, the large VO2 peak power increase between the uh, different athletes. And. Um, these athletes are not at the bleeding edge of performance. is another interesting thing to see from it. Um, with uh, if you compare to general the general public, their four minute power was at two hundred eighty uh, watts at its highest, which isn't a lofty figure. Um, The 8 minute efforts have more of an effect than the 4 minute efforts on the 4 minute power which is something else that can be surprising. You would have thought if you are training at a given intensity you would think oh yeah okay well you'd become better at that but it clearly shows that there is more going on there and this 8 minute uh, training duration seems to in this study at least elicit greater benefits. It's also worth noting that the low intensity group uh, saw some good gains as well. 17 watts onto 4 minute power versus 21 for 16 minute, 39 for 8 minute and 18 for 4 minute. Showing really that almost to me the biggest take, one is, okay, 18 minute, sorry, the 8 minute and the 4 minute. Which one's better? Well, maybe you, because of this disparity here, maybe you try both yourself or incorporate both of them over the course of a season. Um... But what's interesting there is it's kind of evidence of the importance of this low intensity work anyway. Um, I think people have a habit sometimes of just prioritising their interval days and not riding frequently enough. So they only maybe get two rides in a week which are both high intensity and then don't elicit as great a performance because it'd be interesting to see what performance you gleaned from an individual who's... You know, actually focusing too much on the intervals and then not focusing on their low intensity days. Because you can see clearly how much intense, low intensity matters in the overall performance. So to continue to add some more confusion to the optimal intervals, we can take a look at a study titled Is there an optimal training intensity for enhancing the maximal oxygen uptake of distance runners? Now the maximal oxygen uptake or VO2 max is a critical determinant of middle and long distance running performance. And Understanding the most effective training intensity to enhance it is a well trained, uh, sorry, in well trained distance runners is an, a subject of interest in the scientific literature. While training at 40 to 50% of VO2 max has shown substantial increases in VO2 max for untrained individuals. The optimal training intensity uh, for well trained runners is less clear. I think that's an important sort of sticking point there. Is it's almost, I want backwards isn't the right kind of word because at the elite end they're doing it, they're doing the right thing. But at the lower end, people see obviously the high intensity work and try to mirror that because at the elite level, the low intensity is a given, you it needs to be there fundamentally and then the high intensity is to push them over the edge and get them the next step, whereas to most amateurs really you the, the base level, sort of 40 to 50% of VO2 max, the zone 2 kind of area is going to elicit so many gains without any high intensity simply because they're just under trained for the most part so some suggest that training at 70 to 80% of VO2 max might be optimal, but there is a lack of well controlled studies supporting the notion that training at 95 to 100% of VO2 max is the most effective uh, method. The intensity at or near VO2 max is considered important for eliciting adaptions such as mitochondrial, uh, morpholo- um, mitochondrial morphological changes, increasing stroke volume, and enhancing capillarization of skeletal muscle higher myoglobin uh, concentration and increasing oxidative capacity of type 2 muscle fibers, all contributing to the improvement of VO2 max. Um, Obviously, type 2 fibers traditionally, like they are pushing towards the anaerobic side, the raw kind of high force production, high sugar demands, so on and so forth. But the more you can make them to have an oxidative contribution towards your work, which is primar- primarily primarily ox- like oxygen requiring, uh the more uh performance you're gonna gain because you're using more of that cross sectional area of your muscle. Um the adaptability of well trained distance runners to Lower training intensities is discussed, acknowledging that moderately trained runners might benefit from lower intensities due to prolonged physiological stress. However, well-trained runners may already have elicited most cardiorespiratory adaptions at sub-maximal training levels, suggesting that training at or near VO2 max could be more effective for further enhancement, as I've said earlier while it's noted that well-trained runners may reach a plateau in VO2 max enhancement incorporating training protocols that involve 95% to 100% of VO2 max have demonstrated continued improvements now higher intensity training is considered effective and perhaps necessary for enhancing VO2 max in well-trained distance uh, sorry in well-trained distance runners now despite these insights the passage the the block of work underscores that the need for well-controlled studies to establish the efficacy of optimized protocols for enhancing VO2max. Comparing them with other training intensities typically employed by distance runners, um, in essence, the the fluid integration of high-intensity training into well-established training programs for distance runners warrants further investigation to refine understanding of VO2max. Now, before I get on to the next part, which is going to be to talk about Tabata training, That kind of underpins the fact that we there is a bit of a disparity between it. It is accepted that low-intensity work does contribute to overall VO2 max, does contribute to gaining all these adaptions to have a high VO2 max, but the realm at which greatest improvement is going to be seen as a percentage of VO2 max on increasing your VO2 max is a little unclear. However... You're probably not gonna the way to sometimes look at these and listen to these episodes and read papers and is almost they tell you what not to do so from the paper, you can go, okay, clearly, from all of these, I shouldn't neglect low intensity. as for high intensity, I shouldn't neglect that either, but it's a little less clear as to where the high intensity will what percentage of my vo2 max will yield the greatest improvement in my overall performance so where do you go from there well you try increase your volume and then with the high intensity a good way of doing it is especially life is pretty long seasons are long and A good way of doing it is maybe one season or at two different peaks in your season, maybe the first race of the year, try going into a block of four weeks, sort of estimate or do a test on your uh, FTP in the case of cycling or running. Try just use some kind of metric, whether it's where your heart rate is at a given interval, whether it's what you can maintain for an interval, whatever it is. Pick something, stick with it, get a kind of gain on it. Do maybe four-minute efforts. Then the next kind of four-week block that you do maybe in three months' time after a bit of downtime, maybe you've just done a marathon or maybe you've had a big block of racing and riding and then you take a little like one-week break then you come back or two-week break and you want to build up again for another A event. Then try the different methods, maybe eight minutes and just see how the body reacts, see what you psychologically find easier because there's clearly with the RPE in the one study it appeared that or the at least rp fed back was that it was lower for the eight minute tests that's highly subjective it literally is ray perceived exertion so it may be that you find four minutes efforts yeah they're a higher output but maybe subconscious. maybe it, maybe it caters towards a sport you did when you were younger that maybe had that kind of level of intensity for that duration whereas maybe if you're someone who's done endurance sports for longer the idea of a longer interval with less discomfort sounds better to you so as I mentioned let's move on to other training durations obviously 30 second intervals were mentioned but let's go into specifics of say for example Tabata training um Now, there is a paper titled Tabata Training, one of the most energetically effective high-intensity intermittent training methods. We can understand whether or not this is found in science. So, the six-week training utilizing the IE1 protocol, as they titled it in the paper, later termed Tabata Training, demonstrated significant improvements in both the maximal uh, accumulated oxygen uh, deficit and maximal oxygen consumption. So, the key part of all this training and the reason for the say 20 seconds on, 10 seconds off, 30 on, 30 off, 40 on, 20 off, those all those kind of combinations from this is to accumulate the greatest uh, oxygen deficit throughout the intervals. And that's why the first one should be easy, and then as you get on through, they get harder, unlike in the way a eight minute on four minute off or eight minute on eight minute off effort is not the same in that way maybe there is fatigue setting in whereas this within the interval the idea is starving the system um somewhat of just leaning on that glycolytic system and leaning on the just replenishment and buffering and so on and so forth which we'll all get into but the regime comprised of 4 days per week of exhaustive i.e., one exercises or let's just call it Tabata exercises consisting of 7-8 to sets of 20 seconds exercise to exhaustion and 1 day per week of 30 minutes of continuous exercise at 70% of VO2 max with subsequent non-exhaustive Tabata sets the, this high-intensity intermittent exercise provided highly effective in, proved highly effective in enhancing sports-related physical fitness uh, as evidenced by the increased VO2 max and um, maximum accumulated oxygen deficit during the training period. Uh, the text emphasizes the, spe- uh, the, specificity, uh, yeah, the specificity of training effects noting that exercise targeting specific muscle groups or energy-releasing systems yield improvements in those areas, while anaerobic training enhances anaerobic capacity. Aerobic training elevates aerobic capacity, VO2 max. Now, the uh, Tabata protocol being highly demanding and stressing both energy systems maximally, stands out as a comprehensive aerobic and anaerobic training method. Because... You are <clears throat> leaning on the aerobic system to kind of one, it is, it could be a, if you say you're doing uh, 40 on, 20 off, or whatever combination, or in this instance, let's uh, say eight sets where there's 20 seconds of exercise, you're still looking at a like several minutes of work. And in the case of like 40 on, 20 off, you're looking at like You're looking at 10 minutes of of work, so the the aerobic system really has to come in there to fuel the work, to replenish the muscles, provide the fuel to and the substrates to to move, to continue through the uh, exercise. But during that high intensity bout maybe at the beginning at the end so on when you especially when you're starting to deplete substrate availability at the muscle the anaerobic system can start to pick up some of the weight to enable you to continue through that bout of exercise and then when it demands for atp to be replenished around the muscle the aerobic system has to step in and go and push that uh, generate that atp again to allow for subsequent intervals Um, Now contrary to uh, expectations based on the high intensity of the uh, tobacco protocol typically associated with anaerobic training, the study revealed an increase in VO2 max. Uh, This apparent uh, contradiction is explained by the specificity of training and its effects on energy release. Although the Tabata Protocol seemed anaerobic, the measured oxygen uptake during training was crucial for calculating the oxygen deficit, essential uh, for de- determining anaerobic energy release. Now, the paper also has a lot of good information on the effects of Tabata training, um, which to some extent can really be uh, painted across most of uh, other training intervals to some extent as to what is going on and just Tabata training is just going about it a slightly different way to some extent but the text discusses the peripheral adaptions after Tabata training highlighting that the rapid increase in VO2 max within two or three weeks and suggesting that changes in the peripheral, uh, I'm sorry, morphology of the heart are not expected during such a short time peripheral factors such as increased oxidative enzyme activity in skeletal muscles Uh, are proposed to contribute to the rapid improvement in vo2 max however some studies report conflicting results indicating that changes in peripheral factors may not always correlate with increased uh, vo2 max that that i'm just going to pause it right there for one second to say that is a really key bit of information that i think relates back to why online how online training plans work and to some extent what's going on there because you'll get a lot of people who say i used this platform for five weeks saw amazing results but then maybe you dipped off peaked, so on and so forth and that's why these sorts of intervals really need to be left for be like either in the season as tune-ups to reignite things but in reality if you're If you're racing frequently, maybe if you have a week off and then you come into a new race week and you just want to touch things up a bit, these are great. Or on the lead-in to your A event, if it's a road race and maybe if you've got three weeks off racing leading into that, these are great. But doing these in the winter is a waste of your time. You are going to be stimulating systems that are not necessarily ready Or are going to peak early and then dwindle away. Or maintaining them throughout the season is just not going to be conducive of a good season and good performance. Obviously for runners, because this information can really somewhat uh, fit both. But for runners where maybe you're doing two marathons a year at opposite ends of the year. Say February and then October. Then... You, it is much easier to identify these events, lead into them, do this kind of on-off style approach of work, really get into some oxygen debt, really see these two to three week jumps in performance, arrive right on the race line. But for cyclists where you can often end up having really hectic schedules, back-to-back, back-to-back races, and it's harder to kind of identify these, these are your in-season intervals to stimulate these adaptations, or right before the beginning of the season and then use racing and these as kind of like little stimulus to keep things going these are not straight out of your base season still like six weeks away from racing or even worse really in your base season like you'll see sometimes on certain platforms you'll get people doing tomato style training in like December when they've started the training plan in October and the A event might be in August and it's like, wow, this is so far away. Really, it's time to just do some zone two. But anyway, back to the topic. The frequency and duration of Tabata training sessions are also discussed. While the original Tabata study involved four days of training per week, recent research suggests that a frequency of two times a week may be sufficient to induce adaptions in uh, aerobic energy-releasing systems. The expression of the PGC1-alpha, a key transcriptional uh, co-activator, remains high for several days after Tabata training, potentially explaining the enhanced oxidative metabolism observed even within just two days of the training interval. Now, this is why Tabata training is so useful for if you get ill, if you go on holiday... If you go, are you are without training for a week and then have an event, say you arrive on the Thursday and you've got an event on the Saturday, these are the interval. I mean, it's a bit awkward then, you would ideally do it on the Thursday, but if you got like four days and you really want to regain some fitness, a day of zone two or this and then some zone two, the interval. These intervals elicit responses so quickly um, that they are great for that kind of uh, instance. We can also gain an understanding of other improvements to buffering capacity, improved circulation. An essential factor contributing to the improvement of maximal accumulated oxygen deficit are high-intensity interval training, uh, likely uh, including Tabata training, is the enhanced buffer capacity of the muscle recruited during this type of training. The increased buffer capacity allows for more efficient muscle lactate formation, resulting in proportional glycolytic ATP reduction during high-intensity exercise. A study uh, by Charcotel demonstrated the um, substantial 37% increase in muscle buffering capacity after eight weeks of sprint training, providing a plausible explanation for the uh, evaluated Um, MAOD observed after HIT, including Tabata training. So, these are why, really, especially like if you're going into crits and road races, this is the kind of training that allows you to try getting multiple breaks, recover more breaks. And when you're in a breakaway or just going around the circuit, keeping with the group or keeping with the break through various different um, bouts of high intensity, whilst then being able to drop down, still what is your tempo? And not capitulate. Uh, now, carnosine known, uh, is also known to contribute to muscle buffer capacity by 5 to 10%, may uh, play a role in enhancement. This is something you can also supplement, which people often do, which I have spoken about in a, another episode titled, I believe, uh, Performance Enhancing Supplements. Now, interestingly, the levels of mRNA and protein of uh, carnosine synthase. W- one were found in increased after Tabata training, suggesting that a potential elevation in the body's carnosine content. Similar increases have been demonstrated after high-intensity interval training uh, in previous studies. Now, endurance training is known to increase capillary density, and studies comparing sprint interval training and endurance training have shown both to be equally effective in increasing skeletal muscle capillarization. Additionally, both training methods are found to decrease error Uh, aortic stiffness Um, an animal model of Tabata training also demonstrated a decrease in central uh, arterial stiffness suggesting that Tabata training may improve arterial function through similar mechanisms as conventional aerobic training now i think it's super important to say that because i think this gets lost and especially in the sort of like fitnessy industry with like gym related things and where people refer to things cardio it's important not to look over the fact that although they both show they can elicit similar benefits the difference is if you try to do tomato training all year round there's going to be extreme oxidative stress and really just psychologically you're going to break down whereas it's much easier to ride at zone two for months and months and months in the build-up to doing this, it's just completely different. It's like going, if it's like almost, if in the process of finding your dream home, every home you went to look at, you have to buy. It'd be draining, going through that process over and over again, just to try and find the house you like, instead of what zone two would be, is going through looking at loads of houses. Because it's much less stressful. Because simply you are just going to them. Not having to go through the whole purchase process. Which is extremely draining. A bit like doing high intensity intervals. Um, and instead finding the one you like. And at that point going through the stressful circumstance. Which is like doing zone 2 for 4 months. Or 3 months. Or 2 months. But few months. And then a proportionally weighted period of time where you still do zone 2 but you're also doing high intensity work that is draining but then is short lived in comparison to the overall training plan now this improvement in arterial function as mentioned earlier indicated by increased expression of uh, endothelial nitric oxide synthase and subsequent nitric oxide production may contribute to reducing the risk of cardiovascular events associated with both Tabata training and aerobic training. So how do you perform the Tabata inventory correctly? The study suggests the following protocol. Uh, A warm-up which is recommended for 10 minutes at approximately 50% of uh, individuals VO2 max. Now you can these are all referenced to VO2 Max. You can just look them up for a rough conversion, but that just essentially like sub-zone 2 to zone 2 kind of area, so not high intensity. Uh, the exercise structure, uh, authentic to body training, consists of 7-8 to eight exhaustive sets of 20 seconds of high-intensity exercise with a 10-second rest between exercise bout. Now it does say specifically bike training, you can probably apply these to running really, you could just do on-offs, on-offs, it's like shuttle work almost. Um, the intensity setting, now to determine the optimal exercise intensity based on the subject's 100%, 170% of VO2 max, the 100% of VO2 max is the intensity that exhausts the subject in about 50 seconds of riding. The exercise intensity should be individually determined. If that subject can continue for more than 8 sets, increase the intensity. Um, if less than 6 sets, decrease the intensity. And this is something that I think the more proficient you become at exercising, like running or cycling or swimming or whatever, the easier this becomes because subconsciously in my head, I don't know what the number is because it varies throughout the year. But a 50 minute, a 50 second effort, I can somewhat gauge quite easily as to what that's going to be, just by how my body feels. So you easiest way to do this, click start on your interval timer, just give it everything you have for 50 seconds. That number is the number in theory that you're going to be using for this tomato training, and then you can go from there. So in reality, you could turn up on the day to that effort, do that at literally full blast after your warm-up. See what you get. Have another 5-10 minutes, depending how long your ride is, off. And then roll into the Tabata sets with that number now in mind as to what you're gaining. On the other hand, you may have the mental dexterity and sort of mind-body connection uh, that is great enough to do this without that, but it's it's another form of understanding what your interval needs to be. Um, uh, Now, they have various different other thoughts here on what sort of um, pedalling, how how fast you should pedal, chosen 90 RPM um, as being the kind of higher normal range. Now, exhaustion during bicycle exercise is defined as a decline in pedaling frequency to 85 RPM after uh, encouragement. Verbal encouragement, such as come on, come on is what they've listed, can be given to help the subject maintain a pedaling frequency of 90 RPM. If the subject's pedaling frequency drops to 85, is considered exhaustion and the exercise is stopped. So when you start to grow, because a bit easier to see indoors because if you've got erg on, you can see your pedaling drop, whereas outdoors you're more likely just, the pedaling may drop a bit, but you're more likely to just see the power completely disappear, because the resistance isn't being artificially induced. Um, um, but that is essentially how, um, how they go about it, of defining this protocol. Now, you can deviate from this, you don't have to do these 20 second efforts uh, with 10 second rest. It's You've also got options like the 30-30s, you've got 40-20s, I quite like the 40-20s for building into races and mid-season tune ups. I feel as though at least the power output value is more in line with what I would do in a race, so I like to use it. But after reading this article, I am interested to try the 2010 method and do seven to eight efforts and see if it elicits any greater response. Now, for examples of workouts, which I've already kind of stated there, I think they these can be split into two camps. The upper aerobic development and race prep. As I've said, really, these Tabatas are kind of that race prep final Last of performance, whereas the four to eight minute efforts fall into that upper aerobic development category and should be performed whether uh, something around the four to six weeks out from your goal event or four weeks out from the start of the season, for example. And then the Tabata can be used in and around the season to tune up during time off or sickness and return to sport um, in like sort of like a, a rapid rehabilitation process and it's worth noting that for the longer 4 to 8 minute intervals again like Tabata intervals the intensity these are performed at is quite a wide range depending on the athlete's like uh, training level Um, you're looking at between 110 to 125% of FTP but again it depends on the individual really for the most part for more content like this, explore my previous episodes and consider following, rating and sharing the podcast wherever you get your podcast from. Share your thoughts or suggest future topics at the vo2lounge at gmail.com or in the vo2lounge discord server or links down below. Thank you for tuning in. Until next time, it's goodbye.